51 and beginning at verse 1. Not an easy passage for our modern culture to hear, perhaps. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The puzzle that we saw completed was very important for us to make a note of and to take in. Because the way that those children were able to do the puzzle was hugely helped by the fact that they had a picture of the finished puzzle in front of them. And that reading from Revelation gives us such a picture of God's completed creation, this new heaven, this new earth. It is a picture, but it's something that speaks very powerfully to us of the fact that God has a purpose to bring all things to completion. A world that is healed a heaven that is healed, and a new beginning made. And that picture is there around and clearly outlined in the scriptures. Let me just remind us what that picture entails. In Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth was described as no longer having any sea. The sea, of course, being for Jewish understanding of that time the symbol of all that was dark, mysterious, and evil. Jews, even to this day, do not swim. They do not learn to swim because the sea always had that significance. And so no sea in heaven means no evil. There is a communion, a oneness, The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
This wonderful sight of heaven and earth, the God of heaven bringing his bride into intimacy with Christ. The one who expresses in the figurative language of, of marriage what it means to be united in communion with him. Now, he says, is the dwelling of God with human beings, and he will live with them, and he will be their people, and God himself will be with them, and God will be their God. So that communion. And then he goes on to describe the causes of all illness and suffering to be things of the past. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will do it. God will do it. Jehovah Rapha will do this. Very intimate thing to wipe a tear from somebody else's eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order, that life that we now experience so, so powerfully and painfully at times, it has passed away. This is a picture of creation healed. It's a phrase that Hans Kung, the German theologian, captured when he wanted to describe what the kingdom of God was like. The kingdom of God, he said, was creation healed. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for this very healing of God's creation, God's world, which includes ourselves, of course, but it's more than just you and me. The miracle, the joy, the privilege that we have was expressed very wonderfully and, and creatively last week in Paul Peterson's address and invitation and challenge for us to have a memory verse from Ephesians 2 verse 10. I'm sure you'll all say that with me. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Those of you here will remember that long stretch banner. The God who has prepared those works for us, the good works that we will do, that they are works for good that lead to healing and not harming. And that's God's purpose for us. But our world as we know was created perfect, was created very good, but it is now far from perfect. There has been a fallenness from that, leading to harming, not healing. God has created it good, but it has fallen. And that was the most tragic tragic event that ever happened in our history. Well, you say God's called us to be his workmanship, to do these good works, to put it back together again. And that would be quite simple, really. We just get on the floor. It only took a few minutes for those children to do it. We just get down there and we, we put it all together because we've got the plan. We can see what it looks like. Simple. But it's not so simple, is it? Because... The Bible speaks of one whose intent was to sow confusion and to steal, to steal some of those puzzle pieces 
and to kill and to destroy. The Bible speaks of one who is a deceiver, who has a very different picture of the future of the world in his mind, where he is worshipped by humanity. And so he is wanting to sow confusion, and this different picture is one that has been prevalent in our world since that fall. And so amongst the pieces that contribute to healing and wholeness, we have a a whole more set of pieces that are all mixed up with them, of a different puzzle. Hence, we live in a world that is fragmented, confused, and nobody really knows what we're wanting to achieve, except in Christ, who has revealed to us, that book of Revelation reveals to us what the finished world will look like. And the choices that we have as people as to whether we're going to build towards the picture that God has given us in Scripture, revealed through Christ's Spirit, or are we going to just go on living life, you know, just doing stuff, doing the best we can, but just working away day by day, hour by hour, making decisions not based on anything in particular except that we want to, we want to make the best of life. But the decisions we make show something of who we are wanting to serve. Bob Dylan, who became that Nobel Prize winner for literature, whose album Slow Train Coming was one of my favorites when I was growing up. And on that album, you'll remember some of you, there's that song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. Some of you remember that? You can hear it, can't you, playing in your mind, Pete? You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, as he put it. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Unquote. These were the profound words that I grew up with and were challenging to me when I was a teenager and still live with me today. Life, therefore, is full of these choices. Both pieces of the puzzles are put before us and we are presented with a choice. Who do we vote in for in the US elections? Well, Miriam, Miriam's already voted and I think we can probably guess who she's voted for or against. What choices does the Chancellor have in his autumn budget? Are they for healing the world, restoring our world? Are they for the poor? Are they for justice? Or is there another agenda going on? How do I decide on the way that the, on my priorities and the way that I spend my money? How many hours should I be working in the day that's healthy and good for my family or myself? my whole well-being. 
When will a nation choose to sign up to the ending of HFCs or other challenges that lie before us? What word do I type into Google when the space invites me to do that and I'm feeling weak and in need of comfort? How do I speak to my daughter when she comes from some school and I'm in a rush to get tea sorted out? These are choices that we have every day. And how we choose will depend on how clear that big picture is in our minds. The big picture of creation healed. And the great God who is the God who heals, the Lord who heals, calls everyone to work toward that vision of the end of all things. And what we do will contribute to the healing of this world and the healing of relationships and my healing and well-being if we are working to that vision above everything else. So we all make choices and decisions. And I want to ask somebody who's made recently a very big decision to be confirmed. Nicola has uh, made a very big choice. Has only been coming to this church a short time. And I'd invite you to come out now, Nicola, if you would. Uh, and I have managed to cajole her, persuade her, put lots of pressure on her to share this because I think it's for her own good. <laughs> Seriously. She said, she said no at first. And then I said, well, I think it, it builds people's faith when they share their testimony. And what did you say? I can't say no to that, really. Yeah. <laughs> she, she said, I'm a very hard person to say no to. So I want to, Nicola, I've got it for you if you want to uh, say it directly from what you've written for tonight's service, or you'd just like to say anything yourself, I suppose. Okay. And Hello. Um, this is They're my... They're all very friendly, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, apart from one or two. <laughs> so um, this is my testimony that I was asked to write to reflect on why I was being confirmed. Um, so I'll read it as I wrote it. I was christened as a baby and always attended the Church of England school. As I grew up, I keenly studied Christianity in my late teens, but my faith dwindled. As I moved away from God, I felt more lost and unsure of myself. I questioned my value as I had a void in my life with so many questions unanswered. Having a child earlier this year made me reflect on this. I wanted to have a clear moral centre and be able to guide my daughter to what was right. She makes me want to be the best person I can be. Going to Christchurch for the first time was a revelation. This is what I was missing in my life. Coming back to God has given me the steady guidance, reassurance and support that I need. I don't feel so lost. I have a path to follow and one to guide my daughter along. Learning to be the person Jesus wants me to be is challenging. I don't just do anymore as I take time to question my actions and the effect they have on others. This considered approach to my life comforts me but tests me every day. This confirmation is my commitment to continuing this journey with Christ at my side. Did you get that last line? A wonderful phrase. This confirmation is my commitment 
100% commitment to continuing this journey with Christ at my side. This is a new kind of living that Nicola is entering into. And we are so thrilled that that is part of our experience as a fellowship, that we can welcome you and support you in that, as we do with one another. So the vision that Nicola has now in her life is the vision of creation healed, and everything can be working towards that vision. Each day we are faced with hundreds of decisions that will either fit more pieces into that picture of creation healed, or will contribute to creation destroyed. But let me finish with this one thing, one ultimate decision that this puzzling life asks us to con consider. And this is summed up for us in verse 7 of our reading today. It's a picture of a person at one with God, which is really a summary of what heaven is. I've always thought of heaven, a great description of heaven is just being with God. And verse 7, whoever overcomes will inherit all this, the things that we described as creation healed, and I will be their God, and they will be my child, my son, my daughter. That is the ultimate destiny of humanity when it is turned to Christ and found life in him, to be at one with God. How that comes about is described in the previous verse. He said to me, it is done, I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Everything is completed. This is Jesus speaking. To those who are thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is the spring that gives life, and the drinking of it is the receiving by faith what God is offering us. All that is described in this picture becomes the inheritance of that person, and the promise is that if that, that the promise is made to the one who overcomes, or is victorious, in Graham's translation. The one who overcomes. Fantastic. But then, verse 8, a verse that isn't often read, and certainly not at funerals, where this passage is often read, the writer Jesus, through the Spirit, describes the destiny of those who do not overcome. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is then gone on in the New Testament described as Gehenna or hell. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm terrified, actually, when I read that, because who are, you know, who of us, and I see myself as certainly guilty of quite a lot of those things, whether not done in actual, actual things or certainly done in my mind, in my spirit. Certainly lying, 
is amongst those most of us are guilty of. Sexually immoral? Well, wherever. There are other things. Murderers, thinking bad things of other people, Jesus said, is as if you're committing murder. This warning, therefore, is against choosing not to do wrong and to do good, but it's far more significant than that. This is a reminder that there is only one who has overcome these things. And it's certainly not me, and it's certainly not any of you here today. There is only one person who has overcome And that is the one who is the sinless Son of Man, the sinless God who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible teaches us from the beginning to end that there's only by being connected to, in communion with Jesus Christ, that a person can have any hope of sharing that future that inheritance of being part of a creation that is healed. It is only through union with Christ that that can happen. And the verse that leads into the one we quoted earlier in Ephesians 2 says this, and you'll see it on the screen. Helen's got it there for us. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works not by doing good things or by not doing bad things, not by us. Nobody can boast, I'm an overcomer, but only because Jesus is the overcomer and by faith we are holding on to him, the foot of the cross. Lord, save me. Let me be healed and taken up into what you have for me. Saved, by grace you have been saved. That word saved is the same word in the Greek as the word healed. Healed by Jehovah Rapha. And so that salvation or healing is made personal as we make a decision to drink from that water of life and receive his forgiveness and blessings, the blessings of the Holy Spirit of love that is freely poured out from the cross. And I want the worship group to come forward now and lead us in a song that will help us to worship the God whose love is such that it poured out freely for us that grace and enabled us to receive from him. And afterwards, I want to give us all that opportunity to receive a prayer for healing or to pray for those who would love to have that healing and encourage those who want to drink from that fountain of grace to have the courage, like Nicola had the courage to come up here and say, I want to say publicly that I believe in God and that I want to follow him and walk my life with Christ. To have the courage to place yourselves in the flow of that fountain. For love is right here. Let's stand together.